Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I am your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. Longtime listeners will know we love musicians on this podcast. We particularly love musicians whose music we love listening to. That's why it's such a thrill to welcome guitarist Scott Mesker to the show, because he is in four of my favorite bands. I kid you not. In addition to being a founding member of the Grateful Dead revivalist outfit, Joe Russo's Almost Dead, Scott is part of the Telecaster rock trio Wolf, along with John Shaw and Taylor Florith, the trio Lamp, with Trey Anastasio band members Russ Lawton and Ray Paskowski, and he also recently released the first solo album of his 20-plus year career, Too Close to Reason. The label our friends at Royal Potato Family, who also released the latest from Wolf, an EP called Adult Entertainment. Check them both out on Spotify. They are excellent. Scott can play anything. Psychedelic rock, soul, country, jazz, surf rock. And he'll play with anyone. He's played with the likes of Phil Lesh, John Schofield, John Mayer, O'Teal Burbridge, Warren Haynes, Shooter Jennings, Anders Osborne, Circles Around the Sun, and more. He's played at festivals like Montreux Jazz Festival, Newport Folk Festival, Lockin, Jazz Fest, and Bonnaroo. I saw Scott open for Marco Benevento at Levon's Barn in Woodstock in January, where he basically won me over by playing a ridiculously awesome version of Dylan Stuck Inside of Mobile as part of an amazing set. And I'm going to see him next month at Benevento's Follow Your Arrow Festival in Accord, New York, where he will play with the trio Lamp. Joey and I have seen him play with J-Rad on several occasions. So while I'm not exactly following him around, (laughs) his guitar is certainly one of the mainstays of my live musical experience. Not to put too fine a point on it, but the man knows how to tickle those guitar strings. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for that ridiculously nice intro. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. So, you know, I have seen you play in a number of venues around here, and you obviously play uh, in a variety of bands with a variety of people. My first question is, and um, I, I've i known about this for a while, but it's becoming more clear to me with each passing day. The psychedelic rock community in New York City is an absurdly tight community. Can you tell us what it's like to be part of that scene? Yeah. Um, well, now I'm like the I'm like one of the older, like an elder statesman, I guess. Which it's funny how you don't notice how that's happening, and then one day you wake up and you're like, oh wait, I'm sort of like an old guy now, you know. 
uh, I've had people who are kind of like the new people, people that are younger and newer on the scene come up to me and they'd be like, man, you really influenced the way that I play. And I sort of like, wow, <laughs> um, it's jarring to hear that. But um, I mean, you know, I came up at a time when there was a club uh, called the Wetlands in New York City. Oh, yeah. It was like a whole scene there. It was right outside the Holland Tunnel. Uh, in all the clubs that I've played all over the world, I have not seen anything like what the Wetlands was like um, back in the day. And the networking, you know, we didn't think of it as networking then. But in that club is where I met about half the people that you just mentioned that I that I play with. You know, it, it was where I met um, Joe, Russo, Marco, Tom, Hamilton. So there's there's four fifths of J-Rad right there. Where I met Andrews Osborne, where I met um, just a lot of people, and we were we were uh, laying down a foundation without knowing it for something that was going to last the uh, you know twenty plus years at this point. And we've kind of uh, you know we've seen a lot of people come and go, and we're still we're still in it. And the other person there who we've also had on the show. Uh, obviously a crucial link, Pete Shapiro. Seems like he's the, uh, he's providing all the venues for all of us. Oh, I mean, Pete's the, Pete's the, he set, he, he set the foundation for the whole thing. You know, in a lot of ways, I don't know what my life, you know, there's very few people that I can say, I don't know what my life would look like without, and then fill in the blank, but Shapiro uh, definitely qualifies mm. and he qualifies for a lot of us, mm-hmm. you know? he's a he's he's like a he's really like a visionary you know he really is and he 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 makes it happen on which note and you know maybe this tell you could just say it's a stupid question what's your favorite venue to play at yeah it's not a stupid question that's always changing though it's hard for me to answer um like for example we just did um three nights at the fillmore in new orleans and right now that's my favorite venue because we have the three really great nights there um but then we wrapped up that uh that run at the westville music bowl in connecticut yeah which went great too that's a great venue they're all over the place i'm lucky i get to play play all sorts of places all sorts of great places red red rocks though i was i had my first red rocks experience in september and had been in a bucket list for a long time saw war on drugs there um wow from a attendee perspective just mind-blowing because of the setting and everything Mm-hmm. From from an artist perspective, also pretty awesome. Or it is awesome, but I'll say it's probably a controversial thing to say. But I'll say I feel I feel the same way about playing Red Rocks that I do about New Year's gigs. Uh, many times, there's so much hype around mm. the gig mm. that it's kind of tough to just get in there and do your job because there's so much. It's always just nice once the first note happens at Red Rocks because then it's like okay, now we can just do our thing, you know. Because there's so that. much hype, you know, there's so much buildup and anticipation. Uh, the Ryman, Ryman Auditorium, too, I saw mm-hmm. on, on, your, uh, on your list of venues. That's, that's a church. Ryman is super special. Yeah, incredible. I mean, I did the Montreux Jazz Festival, which for me, as, as, a, as a jazz guy, you know, like when I'm sitting around and listening to music, I'd say a lot of the time it's, it's straight ahead jazz and uh, to get to play that venue, I was just, uh, I was walking around like in a haze the whole day. I couldn't believe I was there. Cool. There's a bunch so, of them. Okay. So you brought up jazz there. Let, 
brings me to a question. So your solo debut, Too Close to Reason, is the most, I would say, contemplative sounding uh, of any of the records that you've put out. And part of that, obviously, is that you made it during COVID. Uh, and also, it's a solo record. Uh, but it's certainly a, a long way from J-Rad. Um, is there an Uber Scott Metzger the guitarist or are there multiple personalities that live within you that all get to come out oh. like Wolf, J-Rat, like are they all living together in the same house? You have no idea like how <laughs> poignant this question is and how, uh, I don't know. I wish somebody could tell me. <laughs> I wish somebody could just tell, come and tell me like, hey, you're be this guy musically because uh, I think it's confusing the hell out of some people. Um, like, for example, right now I'm recording a record that uh, would be a solo Scott Metzger record, but it's like got vocals and it's like three minute long kind of pop songs almost. I'm, I, I, focus is not my uh, is not my strong suit. <laughs> and I don't mind that at all. But the higher ups, it kind of drives them crazy because it's kind of, you know, if you're trying to package something, you have to, yeah. you have to know what it is. You know, what box, what box are they going to put you in? You yeah. Know? yeah. What shelf does this thing go on? Yeah. Right. And I, you know, the, the, the punk rock kid in me, the anti-established kid in me wants, it, it, it fights against that uh, pretty hard, you know? Totally. I have, so um, my career, I've been a business journalist, mainly written a bunch of books about business. And my last one's called Tickled. It's about presence. And the world had no idea what to do with it. No one even, no one even, they couldn't put it anywhere because they couldn't put me and it in the same place. So I feel you. Right. And how did that, how did that land for you? Did it go over? Well, would you no. say, were you happy with how? No, oh, I love right. it. I love it. And I have zero regret, but, um, the people who were used to hearing from Duff McDonald did mm -hmm. not know how to respond. So, right. I, right. um, I, 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 I feel that, but let's talk I, about I, you. I say good on you though. Just, just so you know, like I say, that's, that's what art is, should be, I think. Right. And it felt like it, it was a release and it was a, um, I'm sure you felt this yourself a lot, uh, especially live, but just also as a, as an artist, uh, um, recording and stuff. It was the first time that something came out of me in a flood, right? Everything else was work. Yeah. Right. And it, 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 it changed everything. Changed everything. And I think that's beautiful. I think that you have to follow that. I think that as a, as an artist or as a creator, you've got to, we've all got responsibilities that you have to listen to that, whether or not it sits neatly in a box, like what yeah. we're talking about for them totally. to sell it. That, that's not the point, you know, that, in the big picture, that is not the point of any of this stuff. Yeah, no, agreed. Good All right, let me let, let let me let me talk about Wolf because I've been doing a Scott Metzger immersion the last week, uh, mm -hmm. wall to wall. Um, I love the surf rock feel of the Wolf stuff. Uh, the today I was like, what are my favorites? I was trying to find them. Hedgehog and You Are No Longer My Friend, My Friend are two that really stood out. And Matt and I were talking about this just before you got on here. Can you explain to us from a musician's perspective what it is about surf rocks that's so fucking cool? 
Like I, I would try to explain it, but I don't even know how. Well, it's just a vibe, right? It's got, it's got a lot of different feels all built in. It's got sort of like a toughness that's that, you know, you feel it, you know, you hear it and you're like, Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Like this is, this is, this is tough. It feels good. It's it, but it's also melodic at the same time. And it's also, um, it's very visual. It's very like cinematic to me. Mm-hmm. Like I think that, you know, Wolf started with the idea of, could we get, uh, our music to Quentin Tarantino and get it? it, it we were three guys that were like, we want to be in a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack. That's right. right. And then we just sort of ran with it. And then people started showing up at the little bars that we were playing, you know, because we, 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 we played at a little bar here in, in Park Slope, Brooklyn called Bar 4, which is no longer there. And we would just show up and not uh, with no songs and no plan of attack at all. We would just start playing. And uh, we were doing it strictly. You talk about doing something strictly for yourself. That was like, we could care less if anybody, if anybody listened at all and nobody did for a while and then all of a sudden something changed and then there were lines out the door to get into the bar when we were playing but we didn't change the formula at all for a long time we had no songs our thing was like songs our our uh our philosophy was that songs are for cowards and (laughs) you just show up and play you know um and then eventually Kevin approached us about doing a record. And so we, we put some names onto some things and, and, you know, actually wrote a few songs, but I don't know. The surf rock thing is a timeless, it's a feeling, it's a feeling. And if you hit it just right, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Right. I, the, the cinematic point is great too. Cause I often get the feeling that I'm listening to like a Western movie yeah. in the middle of them. Right. I mean, you know, the spaghetti Western, stuff you know that's uh, i mean i watch more i watch more movies than i go to concerts probably at this point in my life so movies and visual influence is a big part of the whole thing so uh let's talk j-rad for a sec um our uh uh, our friend in toronto dave mason has asked Mm -hmm. me to uh please 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 send j-rad to toronto before we get to the question um, what's it I'll like? That. Yeah, Matt's in <laughs> Toronto. Is that where what, you are? Okay. What is it like? And and you know we don't need to split too many hairs here, but what's the difference? You know, J Rod's really successful, and you guys have have a huge fan base, and it clearly looks like you're having a great time up there, but you're playing someone else's tunes. You're you're sort of the Bob Weir of J Rod. What's the difference between J-Rod and Wolf or J-Rod and Lamp for you? Is it is it is one of them more you or are they both you? Both me, but I think that they're both different sides of me, you know? Uh it, conceptually you, you, J-Rod is a very very specific headspace to get into. You know, you're going on stage in front of Lisa, it is a lot of people. And you're going up there and you're going to play 90 minutes and you're going to do it with six songs. That is, especially for, for a guy, I, I did not come from the Grateful Dead scene. I did not know a whole lot about the Grateful Dead before J-Rab uh, really became a thing. Um, and, and that is as very, 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 as a musician, that's a very specific headspace to get into. 
You know, you got to take your time. You can't be in a rush. You got to let things happen. You got to be open to reacting to anything that could come across the board that whether you expected it to or not, you got to be very, very, very open. If I'm playing with Lamp or with Wolf or something, it's a much more sort of like Mm. controlled environment to, to, uh, you know, is one way to say it, I guess. What about? I don't know if that's if that's to the point. No, no, that that's, answers your question. It does. It does. Um, so, a question about um, songwriting, uh, because um, you know, even though songs are for cowards, um, as a, <laughs> would you say uh, your songs come from? Like, do you get to them through a structured? approach or did they come more from divine inspiration like where does a where does a um a the core of a melody come from does it pop out at you or do you have to find it like yeah the the i guess it comes in different ways i mean the divine the word divine sticks out to me as like something that i'm very like anti because i feel like to be uh any sort of precious about music destroys the whole thing. Like I, I, I don't, I, I feel like it's a very full contact process and a very like, I think it's, I think people like to think like, Oh, sit around and like the muse shows up and you know, it just happens. And it's a very friendly, very painless <laughs> experience. And I don't think any of that's true at all. You know, sometimes things happen very quickly, but I think you got to, you got to fight for it, even even in those moments. You know, to stay on track and whatnot. Um, but for me, I mean, it, things things happen all the time in different ways. Sometimes a melody will spark something. Sometimes sometimes somebody say like, "You're no longer my friend, my friend." Somebody said that in a sentence, and I was like, "That's a song for sure." <laughs> and then it was just so clear that it had to be a spaghetti western like murder scene type sounding thing, you know? Because it was like, "Oh, you're no longer my friend, my friend." Yeah, that one's sort of. <laughs> played itself so to speak um but yeah it happens all different ways and and i think that to try and nail it down into a formula you i've learned that just is is more frustrating um than anything because you sort of just have to accept or at least i've come to the fact that i i need to just accept that it is sort of a free-for-all and you just kind of got to take it as it comes and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard and if it's hard, it doesn't mean that you're failing somehow, or if it's easy, it doesn't mean that you crack the code either. It's like, it's, it's just how it is. You know? mm-hmm. All right. So on a, on a related note, um, influences, early influences, late influences, who are your guitar heroes? Oh man. Uh, I'm somebody that has gone very, very deep. And, and and really believes in in respecting what has come before me on on the guitar, and um, I have a laundry list of you know of of guitars. But you know, if I had to pick like an all star team of guys that I've really has really uh, influenced me, uh, you know, there's the Roy Buchanan and Danny Gatton are the two sort of Telecaster guys that I'm just in complete awe of um richard thompson the guitarist mm-hmm. that I, I i just can't get enough of and never seems to get old um you know jim hall 
in the jazz guitar world. Okay. Um, Kurt Rosenwinkel in the modern jazz guitar world. There's about a million country guitar players. Um, Don Rich, who is a Telecaster guy. Um, you know, and these are leaving out, this is leaving out like the obvious, like the West Montgomery's, the Bill Frizzell's, the mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix's. Like to me, those are like prerequisites. You have to be into those people if you're going to call yourself a real, really in the game guitar player. Um, and then I've, ha- I've been lucky enough that I've, I've had a lot of mentors that, you know, people that I really looked up to uh, that I've met and have like befriended and, you know, John Abercrombie. Um, I studied with John Abercrombie in college and, and he, uh, you know, we became good friends. Um, John Schofield, I've become friendly with, I can't believe I can say that, but like, you know, I hmm. email with John Schofield regularly, which is a trip. <laughs> uh, Nels Klein, you know, all these people. Um, I, I'm just so humbled because I feel like that these guys are, to me, the, the world of guitar is, is like this universe that's, that's really, really important you know, in life. And these guys are like Mount Rushmore guys in that world. And to be able to, to be talked to those guys like a peer is Mm -hmm. just, it it never, it never ceases to like blow my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. like the fact that I'm sitting around talking shit or, or making jokes with, with guys like Nell Klein or John Schofield. It's just like, I I usually have a moment where I'm just like, (laughs) What the fuck? You know, just like, well, how did this, how did this happen? This is incredible. You know who I just saw in, I went out, uh, my wife and I went out last minute to see um, uh, Willie Nelson's 90th birthday, Hollywood Bowl. But mm-hmm. we saw, you know who we saw the night before, who are just fucking amazing um, live is uh, Rose City Band, Ripley Johnson's band. You know them? Uh-huh. I know the name. I don't. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. My, the other guy I wanted to ask you about, because I find him to be remarkably uh, idiosyncratic, uh, is William Tyler. You like William Tyler? I, I know William Tyler. I, I, I love the way that he plays guitar and I respect the hell out of his. Uh, he's got a commitment to uh, quiet intensity, let's say. Right. You know? What is, how he could, would you describe uh, that? What is that other than quiet intensity? It's sort of a it, stands by itself for me. Yeah. It's like, I feel like that William is a, is a guy. He, he shares a quality with a lot of the guys that I, and people that I, that I really look up to where he's chosen some things to really focus on. And he sticks to his lane. Like he's, cho- he's decided what's important to him. And he's very unwavering about it, you know, and it's, it's, there's a lot of integrity and it's real easy to get distracted or to think that you're in something. And I'm, I mean, look at me, I'm all over the place, you know, as a musician and he's in William has the thing where, you know, he sticks to his thing and, and, and he could, he could throw it around, uh, you know, f- flash if he wanted to much more mm-hmm. than he, than he does. Mm-hmm. And I, I always respect that very much because that's not easy to do. I saw um, shifting gears here in a big way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw recently on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere, you've been sober nearly 20 years. 
nearly uh, 20 years. It's true. Have you discovered the glories of kombucha yet? <laughs> no. I had like one sip of kombucha once and it freaked me out. And no. I, I've never gone back. Matt, give me a break. So I started making, I found kombucha <laughs> finally as my non-alcohol drink. And now I make it. I make my own. Right. Oh, um, nice. Nice label. And as uh, my wife took that picture, it's, uh, it's on our property. Uh, but um, as a as a non-drinker, it's to me, it's the. It's the answer because it's all the it's any flavor you want. Right. So, you know, how many cranberry and sodas can you drink? What do you like when you're when you're sitting on stage? What's in your, what's in your yeah. glass? Is it is it like cranberry soda? What do you got? Coffee. Coffee. I drink so much coffee; it's obscene. And I drink coffee. Uh, it's it's in a, in a very specific way. It's called bulletproof uh, oh, coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's got like butter in it and MCT oil. No, that shit's delicious. I I was drinking it for a while, and um, uh, at some point I had a cholesterol issue. So I cut that out. Uh -huh. That 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 like that made me want to run to my coffee maker in the morning. Right. I've never even heard it, of it. Sometimes it takes a while for cool for really cool shit to bubble from Park Slope up to Toronto, though. It, like well, it can take years sometimes. Well, well it, goes, it goes both ways, though, because you guys have like the bands that trickle. You know, you guys all <laughs> you know about all the cool bands and then they trickle down here. Um, yeah, I mean, the lightning round version is that Bulletproof is is uh, it's something that's. I believe it was like Tibetan monks. This guy went on like a spirit quest to, to Tibet and uh, he discovered that they were drinking their coffee with um, coconut oil and, and, and butter. And he brought it back to the States and then he, you know, brilliantly like marketed it. And then it became this whole fad. And I think it was real hot for a while. Hmm. Might've cooled down by now, but I'm still, I'm but still the in MC, now, so it's MCT oil, Matt, which is like one of the low something somethings. It's delicious. It will it change your your relationship with the coffee. I'm getting it's, on that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a different thing. It's like it's like almost souped up coffee. Um, and the guy who who came up with the bulletproof brand is brilliant because he realized that it's not people that are sitting around at home drinking this stuff. It's like people that are on the go. So he started making uh, packets of uh, a powder that you can just, um, you know, you just pour into whatever coffee you have, you pour the packet in. And I always am on stage with a little black thermos. Always. If you start watching J-Rad shows, <laughs> you'll see it differently. Um, and I'm just constantly, you know, constantly. Drinking that. So that's right. what gets me through. And, 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 I, and I don't miss the booze at all on stage at, at, I mean it's been a really long time now it took a minute to get acclimated I actually took two years off of playing music it's the only two years that I really didn't play music in my whole life uh, when I first got sober because I wasn't sure if I could do it because I'd spent you know I started playing professionally when I was 19 I got sober when I was 28 and those years were going full tilt on the partying um, mm -hmm. and I just wasn't sure if I could even do this uh, sober, you know, but you clearly can do it, and at a level that you probably couldn't even have imagined before. Uh, there's no question. Yeah, there's no question. 
this would be impossible with the le- with the way that things had turned out and the way that I used to drink and and, and do drugs. You know, uh, this this would be absolutely impossible to s- sustain. You know, either either I'd be kicked out or dead or something. You know, same work. Same hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, sort of- I mean, the, that's the whole foundation of the whole thing for me. You know, I mean, it's like the being sober thing is. I have no, I, I, I will not, I refuse to even consider playing games with that, you know, um, that foundation. Changed everything. 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 And just me as a guy too, you know, not only me as a musician, but also, you know, I'm just uh, over 17 years I've been doing this. I've built up everything hinges on it, right? It's like, you know, the reputation that I have for being professional, for being dependable, for being trustworthy, for being just a good guy who can keep his cool under high pressure situations, you know, because we're surrounded by a lot of, that. you know, there's a lot of intensity out there. I'm always amazed when people are sober and they can come to J-Rad shows because I see the level of intensity out there. It's a lot and it's a long night. Yeah. What are you reading these days? What 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 books on your nightstand? Uh, it's the Bill Frizzell uh, autobiography biography um, called Beautiful Dreamer. Okay, it's great, and the new Rick Rubin book. Oh, is that good? Everybody's. Yeah, I'm, I I have I have that on my uh, bedside table. That's high on my list right now. I've heard it's incredible. Yeah, it's great. It, I like the way that he did it because it's not like you have to sit and read it from page one to page, you know, to from cover to cover. It's mm-hmm. like sort of more thoughts, his thoughts on creativity in little like four page paragraphs. Mm. So it's all you can use it all like professionally. Like it's almost like definitely. A, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I'm going down the list of my friends who own uh, recording studios, sending it out as gifts. Uh, yeah. Everybody's everybody's getting a copy. Everybody who owns the studio should have one of those. You know, just lying around. And um, you just said you're watch more movies than go to shows. What's uh, what's your favorite recent movie? Uh, or show? I I got sucked into Succession. Succession's really good. It's got me. But what movie I can't stop watching is uh, I, I know it's not new, but um, Jojo Rabbit. Has been. No, I don't know it. Oh man, good okay. One. It is a good one, right? You've seen it. Yeah, Taika Ty- Waititi. Yeah, yeah. We just started watching. Uh, Patricia Arquette has a new show on Apple TV called High Desert. Once again, she has topped herself. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Matt Dillon's in it too. All right. So um, I am psyched, Scott, because uh, I'm going to get to see you play outdoors here in what, a month? Less than a month. I guess it but take me to my last question. Outdoors, indoors. Which you like, ba- which you like better? Uh, indoors. No question about it. Because, yeah, because of the sound? Yes. Or the, yeah? Yep. 100%. I like, to, I, like, I like to feel it coming back at me. And I like to kind of be um, 
I like it to be, I, I think of the word uh, smudge, smudgy a lot. I like music to be smudgy. I don't like things to be on a grid too much. I like things to be like, like if you're playing a solo, I don't necessarily need everything like steely damn, like in a perfect place. I want things to be like kind of all over the place and a little bit ugly. And um, man, you're playing outside, you just get nothing. It just goes out and that's it. And then it's just gone. But if you're inside, you get Although although Hollywood Bowl was very different for me. That was one of the greatest sound experiences I've ever had at a concert. Unbelievable. Sounded like you were indoors. Who'd you see there? Where was that? The the Willie Nelson thing. It was like 40 people. It was amazing. Nice. All right. Well, uh, listeners, you can check out Scott Metzger in any of his incarnations. J-Rad, Wolf, Lamp, Scott Mesker Solo. We'll go listen to all of them. I recommend all of them. And uh, it's been amazing to have you here, Scott. It's like uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and it's so nice to talk to you and to, and to have a real conversation. Appreciate it. Great to, talk, great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Like really life. cool to meet you. Cheers, dude. I catch you. Wow. I mean, that was exciting. It was thrilling. I yeah. love watching Scott um, play. He's a um, he's a virtuoso in any of the genres he plays in. Uh, and to um, to discover that he is a um, uh, down to earth and uh, completely chill and nice guy is just makes it all the better. Yeah, so after the interview, you were telling him how you're going to see him in, what is that, in a month? What's the date of that show? What What are the details? It's called it? uh, Follow Your Arrow, uh, June 17th at, in Accord, New York. And what's what's the venue like? It's an outdoor, outdoor yeah, festival Marco type Benevento. venue? Marco Benevento yeah. puts on this thing. It's the second year. It's a place called Arrowwood Farms. It's like a brewery slash um, uh, outdoor event thing. Uh, um, I've seen shows there before. And um, it's like a full day uh, show. Bar Brothers nice. are coming down from Canada. We're very excited. Amazing. Um, Sounds fun. I would come, but, you know, it's far, too far for me. I tried to get our friend Dave Mason to come down because he loves all these guys, uh, you know, as much as any of us. And um, I think he's got some kind of family vacation plan. The guy's lost the compass. Dave, get down here. It's June 17th. Um, so, yeah, it's the what the j- just to repeat the point that I made at the beginning. One of the amazing things, you know, Scott said it's like a. Uh, uh, he's got a lack of focus. It's not a lack of focus. It's a uh, infinite. It's a wide skill. angle. Yeah, white is a wide angle lens. <laughs> the guy all. can play anything. And do you hear yeah. that party? It's like he wasn't even that into the dead before J Rad formed, and now mm-hmm. he is. There are people who would say, and it's this is not a question for him. I know what, I know what you're going to say. They're going to say he's a better Bob Weir than Bob Weir. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> no, but that J Rad is a better dead show than Dead End Co. Oh wow! Right, yeah. 
And which is almost like saying the same thing. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So um, those guys are great. And they play, um, you know, he's talking about Pete Shapiro. They play at Brooklyn Bowl and the Capitol Theater uh, on a regular circuit. And um, it is just amazing how uh, that whole scene, 20 years, 20 years of musicians who've all been playing together in this sort of New York uh, yeah. network. It's pretty wild. It, it's, it's one of the reasons why it's great to live here. Yeah. Like well, this. it was, it was interesting. And thinking back to, you know, the interview with, with, uh, with Peach Piro is that it wasn't really set up just as a venue. Like it really was set up as a, as a philosophy, right? Like the wetlands, wetlands. what, yeah. Wetlands yeah. what, and, and it turns out that has more staying power for like the community that it, that it fostered. Then had it just been a venue, right? We're just opening up a venue and the venue is just going to be a place where you can come see music. It was more than a place. And clearly that has transcended the venue itself. Yeah. And, um, it's, uh, the, the community of fans that, um, has followed those guys around too. It's also pretty thick, um, there was the, I forget the, there's a mail list server, something called the freaks, the New York freaks or something. Our friends were on it where they would back in early internet days, you'd get, you'd get your alerts that these guys were playing at certain places and stuff. And so the, the same musicians would play and the same fans would be there. So it's a, like, like a J rad show in New York, pretty sure that 90% of the people were at the last J rad show or, and the one before that and the one before that, there's not a lot of room, like there's not a lot of spare tickets going around other than for their diehards. All right. So I got one for you here. I found this last week. Um, uh, so you know how in, uh, uh, hip hop or, or ghetto slang, instead of all right, they say, I, I, yeah. I've seen I've seen it written too. It's usually like with an apostrophe for the L's, right? I right. So I'm reading this book, uh, one of my yoga books by this guy called Sri Atmananda. It's from the he's from the 50s in India, and at first I thought it was a typo. Uh, he said he coined it. He coined it. No, 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 no. It's not that. It was he said. <laughs> If what if you've got every everything you've sorted are right, and it's a r i g h t, and the line was, I wonder if I'd heard are right, and it means correctly or properties properly. So like, I isn't so far outside the 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 mainstream that it, that I used to think it was. It's like it's almost the same word. All right. I'm going to start oh, yeah. using all right more now that I know that it's a legit word because, you know, Webster's and what <laughs> is, I don't know. What's your dictionary? Um, My dictionary. It's not like we keep it. You keep a hard, a hard copy dictionary around anymore. Right? No, Robert's rules. Yeah. It's like, what was it? What did mine used to be? It was green at a green cover. Well, there was the uh, American Heritage, the Webster, no. there was a Webster's, a, there was the Collins. Scholastic. The there was the, Scholastic. Yeah. The Collins New Dictionary, I think, was one I had on my desk for a while. 
Let's see. We're listeners, just indulge us here. Main dictionary brands. What well, were I'll, they? Merriam-Webster, New yeah. Oxford. Okay, New Oxford. Yeah, Oxford. I ended up yeah. using that because it seemed fairly uh, sophisticated, shall we say. Sure, and it seems like you're just a you know a condensed version of the OED kind of thing. It's like right, the yeah, it's the, what the it's what the, the intellectual common, powerhouses use. Yeah, people like me and Scott Metzger. All right, so I got a um, I've got a uh, a uh, Ori Bindo to close this out here, uh, and it's this is just a little snippet from a poem he wrote called Who. And he's referring to the Supreme. Um, even if Scott Metzger won't talk about the divine, we'll talk about it here. But I'm sure he's, he'd be on board with this. Um, it, and it goes like this. We will tell the whole world of his ways and his cunning. He, he has rapture of torture and passion and pain. He delights in our sorrow and drives us to weeping, then lures with his joy and his beauty again. All music is only the sound of his laughter. All beauty, the smile of his passionate bliss. Our lives are his heartbeats, our rapture, the bridal of Radha and Krishna. Our love is their kiss. Music is the laughter of God. Aye. Aye. <laughs> You're All supposed right, to add listeners. an aye at the end. All right, listeners. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of emotion, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Whoa, right here, right now. You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.